You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. James chapter number one. James chapter number one. I do not have any kind of sermon outline or anything tonight. I just uh, want to go through the book of James with you this evening. I've been going through the book of James on my radio broadcast, and uh, so it's kind of on my heart. So I'm going to go through some things in the book of James tonight that I pray will be a help to us as a church and a help to you and I as individuals, and I'm praying God will use it. I know this. No matter the messenger, as long as it's the Word of God, the message is always adequate and always gets the job done. And I won't be very long tonight. I know you're probably cold. It looks like it's windy. And uh, after the service tonight, if you'll pray, I'm going to be flying out to, uh, to West Virginia. I feel like I should s- salute, but I'm going to be preaching there Monday, Tuesday. Then I'll fly back and uh, we'll be preaching here on Wednesday night. So pray about that if you would. And uh, maybe the wind will help get us there quicker. As long as it gets me there, that's all I'm worried about. All right, let's stand. If you're able to stand, if you're cold and you're wrapped up in a blanket, stay seated. I see some of you wrapped up too late. She already stood up. You got to get up. I see you debating. Come on. All right, here we go. James chapter number one. James chapter number one. And let's just read the first verse or two of this chapter. And then we're going to go through every chapter, uh, touch on some things in each chapter of the book of James. I want you to see what the Bible says. We'll just read verse number one and we'll start. The Bible said, James, a servant of God. By the way, that's probably the best moniker ever to be put on a person's life. I'm glad he doesn't say James the preacher, James the apostle, James the man of God. Even he says James, a servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ, now watch who he's writing to, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, you maybe have never taken a Bible college class, and that's fine. Maybe it just says this in the heading of your Bible. It does in mine. If you look at the beginning of the book of James, my Bible says the general epistle of James. What that means is, is James is not writing to a specific church, and James is not writing to a specific individual. James is not writing to the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, the church in Thessalonica. He's not writing to the church he pastored, the church in Jerusalem, but rather he is writing, the Bible says, to these 12 tribes. When you see that word, tribes, you know we're talking about who? Jewish individuals, right? He's writing to these Jewish individuals that have been saved by the grace of God, and yet they're scattered about. So he's writing to saved people, in a general sense, scattered abroad. His letter is written not to a church, but to any church. Not to a Christian, but to all Christians. What he's saying is, what I'm giving you in this letter is not just good for this city or for that city or for this person or for that person. Let me put it in my country vernacular. All y'all need what I'm saying in this letter. Thank you. It's a general epistle. If you study the book of James, in James chapter number one, James deals with faith and weathering trial and temptation. In chapter two, he deals with faith and the need for works with faith to justify our faith before the eyes of the world. In chapter three, he deals with faith and the words that come out of our mouth. In chapter four, he deals with faith and having no friendship with the world. And then in chapter five, he deals with faith and patiently waiting on the imminent return of Jesus Christ. 
In every chapter, James deals with issues and with problems. But how he's writing this, they were not issues and problems in one church. These were issues in every church. These weren't problems in one person's life. These are problems that every person will deal with. For a little while this evening, I, I, I don't really have, like I said, an outline, but I have a thought. And I want to speak to you from the book of James on this thought. Every church has issues. Every church has issues. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your power tonight. I pray you'd give me liberty as I attempt to preach your word. I pray that you'd help me to deliver the message. Hide me behind the cross, I pray, and fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you study out the life of James, you find James is a man of conviction. I thank God for men of conviction. I'm glad for those that have some things they believe and they're not bashful about what they believe and they don't apologize for what they believe, but they say, here I stand and this is what I believe. By the way, I believe it'd probably be all right if you and I were men and women of conviction as well. We ought to have some convictions from the Word of God. Not always a man of conviction, he's a man of concern. He's a man who is concerned about the souls of men. He's a man who's concerned about these local churches. And he's a man who's concerned about individual Christians. He's not only a man of conviction and concern, but he's a man of compassion. He's a man who cared for other people. He said, and some save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. I thank God for people of conviction, but I don't care much for people who are all conviction and no compassion. I think if we're going to be like Jesus Christ, we ought to know what we believe, but we ought not be hateful and have a bad disposition as we believe what we believe. James is a man of conviction, a man of concern, a man of compassion. He's a man of zeal. You didn't have to prime and pump James to get him to serve God. He was already stirred up before you ever got to him. I like Christians like that, by the way. I don't like it. I don't like to be a pep rally leader. I don't want to have to sit here and try to turn your crank and get you to be happy about being saved. Wouldn't it be great if we all just came to church and we're already excited about going to heaven? I like folks who are full of zeal. I mean, you don't have to beg them. You don't have to give them an iPad to go soul winning. They just show up because they love Jesus and they want to go soul winning. That's what James was. He's a man who hated the flesh. He's a man who hated the world. But he's a man who absolutely had a love for the Lord. Jesus Christ. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, that refutes the false doctrine that the Catholic Church promotes that Mary was a perpetual virgin. No, she was not. And you can, uh, you can go ahead and debunk that if you just read your Bible. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He grows up to believe in him as Lord. Could you imagine if one of your siblings said, by the way, I am God wrapped in flesh. Now, you might have a sibling who thinks they are that, but newsflash neighbor, they are not. But James had a brother who indeed was God veiled in the flesh, and yet he follows the Lord. He's a preacher of the gospel. He's a Christian man. He's an apostle. He's a servant of God. He's a pastor. James is martyred. He dies. They're a little bit dispute, whether by stoning or sword. In around A.D. 62, he laid down his life for his faith. 
If you study out the life of James, James is very much a shepherd. He's a man who has sympathy for those who are hurting. He's a man who's protective of those who are in sin. He's a man jealous over those that would love the world. And he's a man zealous for these early Christians to live a life that would glorify God. I was studying in this letter to James this afternoon in my office, and it's amazing in this book of James, you find that James gives us the truth that there is only one God. He's a triune God, and his name is Jehovah God. He's God the Father, he's God the Son, and he's God the Holy Ghost. God is not some little statue on the dashboard of your car. God is not some little bead or cross necklace hanging from your rearview mirror. God is not some ornate ornament on the mantle of your house. Our God is a holy God. He's an eternal God. He's Jehovah God, not Buddha God, not Allah God, but he's the God of the Bible and he's a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Not only does James teach us that, but he teaches us in this letter we're born again by the word of God. That's why it's so important that we have a perfect Bible. If we don't have the word of God, you cannot be born again. We're to receive that engrafted word whereby we are are saved. The word of God is what births us, if you will, into the family of a begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the what? By the word of God. So James teaches us that. Not only that, James declares Jesus Christ is Lord. We say it all the time. It does not matter who's in the White House, but it does matter who's on the throne. And he always has been and always shall be. Jesus is the Lord. James teaches us the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. James teaches us that faith ought to produce works. And then Jesus, or James teaches us Jesus is coming soon. Now, I was studying through this book, and I noticed that in every chapter, James is dealing with common problems that he saw in those early scattered assemblies of Jewish Christian believers. I don't know about you, but when I first got saved and started attending church, by the way, I attended church long before I got saved. Just because you're on this property doesn't mean you're going to heaven. But after I got saved and started going to church, I thought everybody in church was perfect. I didn't think there's any problems at all. I loved it. I loved the singing. I loved the preaching. I loved every man. I loved every lady. I even put up with the teenagers. I mean, I thought everything about the church I went to was perfect. You know what I found out after a while? It wasn't. Does that shock you? Does that surprise you? I found out every once in a while that preacher got in a bad mood. Sometimes those singers hit a sour note. Some of those ladies were gossips. Some of those men were lazy, no count good for nothing fellas. Those teenagers were putting knives in our tires and flattening them in the apartment, and they weren't really. But I found out every church had issues. I've traveled around the country. I used to preach about 400 times a year across America and uh, in South America every once in a while, and I found this out. It didn't matter if it was a big church or a small church. It didn't matter if it was a well-known church or an obscure church. It didn't matter if it was a city church or a country church. It didn't matter if it was a high church or a hillbilly church, it didn't matter. Every place I went, every church I attended, it wouldn't take me long to point out some flaws and some problems in those churches. Can I say it's like that all over the place? You say this place has so many problems. No, every place has so many problems. You say, why is that? Because people like you go to those churches. Amen right there. 
They always say, if you find a perfect church, please don't join it. You'll ruin it for everybody else. So let's go through the book of James tonight, and let me give you some problems or some issues common to every place and every person. Number one, James says, hey, listen, this is all over the place, a general epistle. Every church has issues, and here's the first one. Trials are an issue everywhere. Look what it said in verse number two. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall on diverse, now look at this next word, Tim. Temptations. He's using that word temptation in regards to a testing or a trial of our faith. James is saying, brethren, it doesn't matter if you're in that church or this church. It doesn't matter if you're this one or that one. Every individual and every assembly alike will face trial, adversity, and testing. How many of you would vote and say that that is true? How many have ever gone through a test before? If you have, raise your hand. How many have ever had a trial before? Not a test like in school, but a trial before. Raise your hand. We know that's true. It happens to all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you attend. It doesn't matter where you live. There's going to be trouble and trial and tribulation as we live in this life. You say, why is that? The Bible says the trying of our faith, look at verse 3, worketh patience. Why are there trials all over the place? Here it is. God is trying to make a better you. And I wish it always took blessing and I wish it took money in the bank and I wish it took everybody loving me to make me more like Jesus. But the truth of it is, oftentimes it takes disaster, it takes sickness, it takes heartache, it takes sorrow, and that's not coming into my life to hurt me. That is coming into my life to help me because God is trying to make me more like his son and it might take the the den of lions. It might take the Mamertine prison. It might take the Red Sea. It might take Goliath and Elah. But God knows what I need, just like Job, to make me a better man, a better Christian, and more like Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm going to leave this place. It is so hard. It is so difficult. We're facing financial adversity. We're facing health adversity. All of these trials, that's fine. But when you pack your suitcase, I guarantee it, you're going to pack it and take it with you wherever you go. I had somebody say to me the other day, oh, Brother Cooper, I bet you, actually, it was just pa this past Wednesday, I was preaching out of town, and they said, how long have you been out here in California? I said, two years, and they really encouraged me. They said, are you tired of it yet? I want to say, well, God bless you. Yes, no, not really. They said, why in the world? I bet you wish you could live back where you used to live. No, not really. You know what I found out? It's like this everywhere. There are trials and trouble and adversity everywhere you go. And you got to learn not to get mad about it. And you got to learn not to get bitter at God about it, but to understand that God will enroll you in the classroom of storms and adversity. And it is not to harm nor hurt. It is to help us grow in grace and make us more like Jesus Christ. So I noticed that. I noticed something else. He doesn't just deal with trials, and that's everywhere. But then he touches on temptation, and he said that is everywhere. He uses the word temptation again. Now, the initial use in verse number uh, 2 deals with a testing but when you come down to verse number 13, it is not a testing necessarily from God, but rather a solicitation to commit sin. Look at verse number 13. 
He says, let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth, what's that word? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So James is writing to these churches and Christians scattered abroad. And he says, you know what? All of you need to hear this. There are trials everywhere. Everywhere you go, no matter where you find yourself, you will find adversity. But not only that, you'll have to battle temptation or that temptation to sin specifically everywhere you go. Can I say every Christian individual battles temptation or solicitation to do evil. But here's what the Bible says. It is not God that tempts you, and it is not God that tempts me to sin. My Bible says God is holy, and it says, be ye holy, for I am holy. A holy God is not going to tempt you and I to do unholy things. A lot of people will say, well, the devil got me to do it. It is not the devil. We give the devil too much credit. He's not do that kind of credit. The Bible said it is our own lust that draws us away. It entices us and leads us into that sin. We went fishing this past week, and some of y'all probably think that's a sin, but anyway, we went fishing this past week, and uh, I put on a fake lure, just a fake worm. We had to put on a fake worm. The, the little fish kept biting the real worms, and anyway, you don't care about that, but that's what happened. So I put on a fake worm, and I threw that lure out there. It's not real. It's fake. It's phony, but it looks good. I threw it out there, and I began to twitch it in the water. You see, you don't get this kind of deep preaching when pastor's here. You kind of start twitching in the water, let it sink down, pull it back up. After a time, Lincoln will tell you, and he'll call it a whopper. It wasn't a whopper, it was about that. But a bass came out of nowhere and ate that lure. You know what I did? I hooked it and we caught that thing. What did I do? I drew it away and his lust welled up within him. He thought that looks like a nice snack and he bit that lure and he got hooked. That is exactly what happens when we fall into sin. You don't just stumble into sin. You willingly step into sin. Say amen right there. You make the conscious decision. I make that decision. I know right and do wrong. And the Bible said it's my flesh that makes me do it. You say, well, I don't know about that. Oh, yeah, I know about that. We have a lot of things not in common. Some of us are smart and some of us are not. Some of us are rich and some of us are poor. Some of us are good looking. And then we have these college guys up here and they're horrible. I mean, it's ugly, ugly men. All of us are different, but we all have this thing in common. We are all sinners and have a flesh to deal with every moment of every day. We all battle this temptation. It's everywhere. So James says, I tell you what's in every area, there are trials. Not only that, there is temptation. Every church needs that. They all have this problem. Then he says this, there's also this issue of hearing the word of God, but not doing the word of God. Look with me at verse 22. But be a doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. 
For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the Bible, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The Bible here, James is saying this, don't just sit in services every Sunday morning. Don't just sit in a service every Sunday night. Don't just go to church on every Wednesday and attend Sunday school and ladies soul winning and men's prayer meeting and hear all of this truth presented and never put it into practice. Can I say it'd be better if you just stay home and sit on the couch than you come here and tune it out and just focus on something else, play on your phone. Pardon me while I preach a minute. Is that all right? I know it's church and everything, but can I preach a minute? Come here not pay any attention to the preaching and never apply it. The reason some folks don't get anything out of church is because they don't apply anything that the preacher tries to give them when they come to church. Did you know you could go ahead and put uh, the need for revivals out of business if we would just do what we know to do from the Word of God? I mean, we know to go soul winning, so we ought to go soul winning. We know to pray, so we ought to pray. We know to study our Bible, so we ought to be studying our Bible. We know to live holy and dress right, so we gotta just do those things. And James is saying, if you don't, it's like when you go look in a mirror and you look in that mirror and see some smudge on your face and just stare at it and say, huh, and then walk out. And you leave it there and don't fix it. Every time I look into the Bible, you know what it does? It shows me my imperfections. The Bible shows me reality. Social media will show you a false reality. And your own mind will make up a false reality. But this Bible is like a looking glass, and every time I look into the Word of God, every time the preacher preaches, it shows me what I am in truth. Can I say that's a need in every area, in every church, and for every individual to not just hear the Bible. We have a lot of Bible-believing people that aren't even Bible-reading people and Bible-practicing people. All right, let me give you a third one since it's so encouraging tonight. This morning I was trying to be encouraging so tonight I could just skin everything, you know, just preach against it all. Let me give you another one. Come to James chapter number two. Here's another issue. We'll move quickly. Trials, temptation, hearing the word and not doing it. In chapter two, he deals with discrimination. Look what he says. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, the, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, watch what he says, with respect of persons. Now look at verse number nine. But if you have respect to persons, look what it says. Ye commit what? Sin. James is dealing with this. He said every church needs to hear this. And he uses the illustration. He said if a man comes in with nice clothing, and a man comes in that can really pad the offering plate. And a man comes in with a name known around the city. And you give him a seat in the front row and make a big deal about Senator so-and-so being in the service. And then some old wretched, reprobate, homeless fellow walks in. And you make him sit in a back corner somewhere. He said, can I tell you what that is? That is sin to have respect to persons when it comes to the house of God. Can I say the church ought not be a place of discrimination? We are not 
not masterpieces. We are works in progress. This is not a museum. This is a hospital for hurting people. And I don't want to bust our bubble, but you're not perfect, and I'm not perfect either. And nobody here is better than anybody else. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your name's attached to. We are all on level ground because of salvation in Jesus Christ. Whether you have a bad background or a religious background, whether you got a good job or no job, everyone ought to feel welcome at the house of God. I'd rather pastor at a church filled with people that look like they need Jesus than have a church with perfect looking people that don't care about getting Jesus. I'd preach in some of these churches, man. It looks like the people in the front row had fallen head first into a tackle box. Everything was pierced up. And I don't advocate that. Uh, Brother Kissel, don't run out and do this. I'm not giving you the green light to do this. The five piercings you have are enough, okay? But, I mean, everything that didn't move so fast they couldn't pierce it was pierced. They had tattoos on their body, and I'm not advocating for that. But they'd sit on the front row and say amen. I like that. And they'd come to an altar and weep, and I sure like that. And then I preach in some of these dead, pharisaical, brought up in fundamentalism kind of churches where everybody looks like they walked out of the Independent Baptist J.C. Penney catalog and they've got their King James Bible under their arm and their long Sunday dress and a nice suit and tie and they're deader than four o'clock. They don't ever smile. They're not happy about being saved. They're so eternally secure. They can't enjoy the journey. I don't want that. I think this place ought to be a metropolitan. I mean, a place of conglomerate of people, different walks of life, different skin colors, different nationalities. Everybody welcome. What binds us together is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Discrimination. Then he deals with in chapter number three. Here's a problem that's everywhere. The tongue. I'm going to, Brother Lupke. Thank you. Look what he says in verse number three. I already knew who that was. He's got that. That's his coin phrase. Come on. We're coming. I'm coming. Look at verse number, look at verse number two. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in, here it is, not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, and that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and this is an easy place to preach, by the way, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. James is dealing with problems he sees in all of these assemblies and with all of these Christians, and can I say it's still around today. You say, what is the issue? The issue is the tongue. Now, I can say the tongue is not a bad thing. It just gets used for bad things. God gave you a tongue to glorify him. God gave you a tongue to exalt his name. God gave you a tongue to sing his praises. God gave you a tongue to edify the brethren. God gave you a tongue to encourage those that are discouraged. But it did not give you a tongue to trash and thrash and cut down and slander and gossip everybody that you go to church with. I'll be signing Bibles after the service if you're interested. He uses the illustration of a fire. A fire can be a good thing. I was driving up to, uh, to Shasta this past week, and you could see on the side of the road where those farmers had done a control burn. Have you seen that before? A control burn. 
They did it on purpose. They set that field on fire with a perimeter around it. They burned that soil because that nitrogen would get revived in that soil, the oxygen, and it would produce fruit better. They controlled that fire and it was a blessing. A controlled fire is a delightful thing, but an out of control fire is a destructive thing. We stayed in a the cabin there in Sheston. All around it, the trees were black. I made the mistake of telling Lincoln there was a big fire came through here. And so all that night, he started out in his bed and ended up in mine asking me when the fire was going to come through. But you can see the evidence of destruction because that fire wasn't under control. Your tongue can be a blessing if you can control it. But you let that tongue get out of control, and it can destroy a lot of things. I'll go preach for these preachers building a new church and I'll say it's a beautiful building but your altar is not big enough. And they'll say why is our altar not big enough and I'll say because Baptist tongues won't fit on this little altar. Some people say well I just want to speak my mind and then they open their mouth and prove they have none. I remember hearing the illustration John Wesley was preaching at a church and he preached at this particular church. He was wearing a long bow tie with the flowy tails on it and I'm glad those aren't in style right now but anyway he, that's what he wore. He was walking out the back door and a woman waited on him after the service. It's always a bad sign when somebody who doesn't normally hang around, hangs around after the service. They're not looking to be a blessing. He began to walk out and she caught him and said, Mr. Wesley, I'm so glad you came to preach at our church today. He said, well, I enjoyed being here. She said, well, I always love your preaching. He goes, well, I appreciate that. And she said, but today, but today, something bothered me. And God told me that I'm spiritual, and God said you're spiritual, and that you could handle this if I told it to you. He looked at her and said, well, surely if God told you to, and you're spiritual, she goes, I am. And I'm spiritual, she said, oh, you are. Uh, go ahead and tell me. She said, there's something about you that bothers me, and God said that if I told you, you'd let me fix it. She said, it's your bow tie. The tails on that bow tie are extremely too long. It bothered me while you preached. I couldn't focus while you were up there. I just watched them wave. And God said you'd let me take scissors and cut that bow tie to where it ought to be. And he looked at her and said, well, if God told you to do that, ma'am, he said, how can I stand in front of God? Please do it. And she took scissors and snipped his bow tie short. She puffed up like a peacock, you know, began to walk out. She said, wait, 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 wait a minute, ma'am. I love preaching at your church. I always enjoy it. She said, we love having you. He said, but today... I had a problem preaching. He said, there's something about you that just bothered me. And God told me that you're spiritual. She said, well, I am. And God said, I'm spiritual. She said, oh, you are. And God said that if I let you cut my bow tie tails, you'd let me take care of this. And she said, oh, I will, Mr. Wesley. What is it? He said, there's something about you that bothers me, like my bow tie tail being too long. He said, your tongue is entirely too long. And God told me that if I let you cut my bow tie tail, that you'd stick out your tongue and let me cut that about where it ought to be. For the first time, she shut her mouth and left the building. Can I say it do some Christians well, proverbially, to stick out their tongue and let God snip it to where it ought to be? Why don't you try for once in a while to say, praise God, glory to God, hallelujah for Jesus, instead of talking bad about everybody in the world. All right, so he deals with that. We're almost through. You've almost made it this far. In chapter number four, he deals with this. He deals with compromise with the world. Look with me in your Bible, verse number one. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts? 
that war in your members. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. He's saying you're so filled with the flesh, you can't even pray it right. Look what he said in verse 4. This is stout. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And then he says it plain, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Can I say that is not just old fashioned preaching, that is Bible preaching. That is not just generational. That is from the word of God that you and I who are saved are not to have friendship with this world. James said, I'm going to write this to everybody because everybody needs it. You're not supposed to look like the world and talk like the world and dress like the world and run with the world. You're supposed to be different and distinct and have that divine reflection of Jesus Christ upon your life. You say, well, that's just your flavor. Yeah, my flavor is King James Bible. That's my flavor. I just kind of like what the Bible says. I'm not supposed to yoke up with this world. It's the world that crucified our Savior. It's the world that martyred the early Christians. It's the world that hates you and I as it is. I don't want to run to the world and forsake the Lord. You can't go both ways. How many legs does a spider have? How many? So I never walked at one that long as always. Eight. How many legs does a dog have? Very good. Thank you. Jason got it. Four, eight. All right. How many legs do you have? Some of you had to look. That's bad. One and another. A spider has eight legs, but it can only go in one direction at a time. A dog has four legs, but it can only go in one direction at a time. You have two legs. You can only go one direction at a time. So that means it's impossible for you to run with the world and walk with God at the same time. You have to make a decision who you're going to run with and walk with. The Bible still says that we're supposed to be different and distinct and to come out from among them. Our sound ought to be different. Our style, say amen right there, ought to be different, right? Our friendship, our language, what we do, it ought to be distinct and it ought to be different. He's dealing with issues in every church. Worldliness. The Bible says a Christian with worldly talk or worldly music or worldly wardrobe or worldly friends is the enemy of God. All right, then one more and we'll be through. Look at verse number four, the end of the chapter. I want you to see this. We'll close. Look what it says in verse number 13. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, watch this phrase, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Now here's a verse we all know. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, look what it says. To him it is sin. Now we'll take that verse and apply it. If you know to go soul winning and don't, it's a sin. And that's true. You know to pray and don't, it's a sin. And that's true. 
But in the context of the chapter, if you study the chapter verse by verse, what he's dealing with is, the context is this, you standing up and saying, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm just going to move over here. I can get this job. That's exactly what it says. I'll go to this city. I'll continue there a year or so. Then I'll get tired of that. I'll dump off that house, make some money. I'll buy and sell and get gain. And you don't consult God and you don't pray about it and you don't ask if it's the will of God. You just boast as though you're in control and the Bible says we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow let alone a year from now so here's a problem James had it all the way back in the first century he said you're making life decisions without letting the one who gave you life in on the decision I wonder how many people are out of the will of God right now that made a move during the COVID lockdown and they shouldn't have they should have stayed put you say, why do you need to make more money? So God hadn't provided for you up to now? But it's easier to live over there. Are you crazy? Where Desiree grew up is 45 minutes from Walmart. I mean, we can door dash stuff to our house in 45 seconds right here. There's no cell phone service. It's cold in the restroom because it's a half mile from the house. You don't get your eggs off the shelf. You get them out of the chicken coop. They eat squirrels. And not because they have to, it's because they like it. Yeah, that sounds a lot better than living here in the Silicon Valley where we have everything you could ever imagine and then some. But he said, here's a problem I'm seeing everywhere. You're saying, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. And you're not using that old-fashioned term, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. I remember hearing my grandpa, he always say, Lord willing. Some folks will use that phrase, Lord willing, meaning that they're not going to show up for church. Now, you come back tonight, Lord willing, they don't mean they're not, they're not coming back. But I believe that's a good phrase to say, if the Lord wills, then I'm going to do this. If the Lord wills, then I'm going to do that. If the Lord wills, then I'll take that job. If the Lord wills, then I'll buy that house. If the Lord wills, I'll teach that class. If the Lord wills, I'll run that bus route. If God's in it, I'm for it. If God's not in it, I don't want to touch it. Can I say, you never make a decision in the heat of a battle, in emotional times. You'll always make the wrong decision. So what you do is you wait on God, let faith produce patience, let patience have her perfect worth, and then you'll be entire wanting nothing, James chapter number one. Here's what he's saying. Y'all are making decisions and not letting God make the decision for you. Now, that, tonight, all I did was go through the book of James. I've been studying it for me. I've been doing it on the radio, so it's on my heart. These problems were everywhere in James' day. And these same things are issues in our day. Whether it be trials, listen, you're not going to outrun your trial. It might be a providential, divine thing God's put in your life for a reason. Instead of asking God, why me? Just say, God, what are you teaching me in this trial? Temptation, sin, you'll deal with it every single day. I think it was Bob Jones Sr. said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. You can't keep your, your flesh from wanting to sin, but you can keep it from committing the sin. Hearing the word, not doing it. Not putting it into practice. Gossip. What if Jesus came down tonight and said, here's what I'm going to do. I want every gossip to stand up. This is the first time they've been quiet for a long time. You hear how quiet it is right now? Just the birds singing. He said, I want every, everybody who's gossiped today stand up. Wouldn't that be convicting? Can I say he didn't have to show up bodily to already know what's going on. With all these things I've mentioned, 
if God's dealt with your heart about something, come to an altar and get it right. These problems are everywhere. Everybody faces them. But I'm glad he said, you know what? There's victory over it. Because in verse 27, he said, here's what I want for your life. Pure religion. Undefiled. Genuine Christianity that will influence your generation. How are we going to do it? Avoid these things. Battle against them. Let's bow our heads for a moment. We'll have an invitation tonight. Just some verses from the book of James. Not my normal outline style, but it was what was on the heart. Maybe God spoke to you about something in the message. Maybe I didn't mention something specifically in the message, but the Holy Spirit of God dealt with your heart about something during the message. Here's what I want you to do. Get right with God. Get it right. Come to an altar and do business with Him. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.